Welcome to HACCP Mentor, where it's all about helping you make your food business compliance easier. Sit back and relax as we get our food safety, HACCP and quality compliance on. Welcome back to Off the Menu. I'm Amanda Evans-Lara. We're into episode nine. I'm here with Pete Holtman. How are you going, Pete? I'm good, Amanda. How are you? Good, good. Episode nine already. Wow. Already. Already. We're, um, yeah, we've been going pretty good. So hopefully everybody's been enjoying the series so far on professional development and moving through the different levels of career path worth, and mastery. Career, mastery and career path. That's, that's it. the one. Mastery. Mastery, no less. <laughs> so different levels. So, so far we've covered off novice was the first level. Mm-hmm. Advanced beginner. It was the second level. Competent. Third level. Proficient. Fourth level. And finally, we're into expert. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So expert level. Please define for us all expert. Know it all. Knows everything. Can't be told anything. Does that sound familiar, Amanda? (laughs) Really? Is that what you think? I'm an expert at, oh, lots of things. Mm, See? Listeners, I'm- uh, Parenting. Of course you are. Yeah, aren't we all? Absolutely. Setting up microphones. Something like that. (laughs) What is an expert in our hierarchy of mastery? This one is the visionary. This is the person that uh, sets the standards for others to follow. Yeah, I just had a flashback when I was um, doing some work with you on a project and you drew up on the wall a torch. I did. (laughs) So Pete drew this. He was trying to explain the concept of, I still don't know what it was, but (laughs) Pete can tell us, but he drew this torch and it was supposed to be an analogy of shining something on the situation or or looking broader. I still don't get it. Well, it was about uh, seeing into the future, the vision of the future for your organisation. So he draws a torch. So I did draw a torch. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So the torch instrument itself was the organization and the light that shines out of it was your vision and the further away from the torch the dimmer the light gets and the distance the light travels is equivalent to the amount of competence and expertise within the organization which are the batteries in the torch. So if only Pete could have explained it that succinctly I did. I spent back, two hours back, doing that's it. That's what I mean, the fact that you spent two hours where you've just explained that in 20 minutes. Yeah, but I just filled in 20 seconds. That's I it. Just, <laughs> I just filled in the the layers of vision for people. Oh, anyway. Yeah, someone's had, a visionary here. Someone is not. <laughs> <laughs> I had to nap afterwards. Of course. Anyway, so back on being an expert. Yes. I thought you said back on me being an yeah. expert. I'm sure you said that. <laughs> No, no. So we talk about you've got to be visionary. So you've yes. got to, um, you what need does, to. What does that actually mean, Pete? It means you need to see the future that others haven't seen yet. That's the best way. So you are the person that is looking over the horizon at things to come and is preparing people through great communication, excellent practice, and uh, sound systems along the way to be ready for when that future arrives. Right. So at what, how many hours or how many 
years are we talking about to get to the level sure. of being an expert? Eh? Okay, so we talk about. Because I think, our, sorry, our last one at proficient was around about the five to 10 yeah, year mark. Yeah, five to 10 year mark. You really should be well practiced in your industry for over 10 years to even be considering calling yourself an expert in this space. And there's this whole rhetoric or theory around 10,000 hours of what they call deliberate practice, which means you do the same activities over and over again for a period of 10,000 hours, makes you an expert. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, if anyone wants to look that up, uh, came up with this theory. Gladwell draws his parallel to the Beatles becoming masters in their field because of all the gigs they played in Hamburg, one gig after another, after another, after another. Well, they say practice makes perfect. perfect. Yeah, so. Practice makes expert. That's another idiom. It all sort of draws on the same thing. No, I didn't call Mm. you an idiot, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) I said idiom. (laughs) The 10,000 hours uh, is something that people talk about, uh, but what we're really talking about is the concept behind it of deliberate practice and deliberately upskilling yourself, intentionally upskilling yourself in the industry. I think that's a good definition of your upskilling, not because someone else is telling you to do it, you're doing it off your own back. It is. It's, uh, it's Deliberate. It is. It's self-imposed. Yeah. You, you want to be at the cutting edge. It's no difference to sports, uh, sports heroes or goats, greatest, greatest of all time. It talks about this want or desire to learn everything there is about the industry in which you work in, the field in which you work in, and the technology within the industry that you work in. And it's not just about what's here today, what's clear and present, it's about what's in that dim, distant future. And in a lot of cases, you'll be the thought leader in this space. Stuff mightn't have even been written yet, and you're coming up with what the future looks like. To become an expert. Yes. So we've, we talked about we've got a Practice for this, you know, absolutely considered 10,000 hours to become an expert. Can you fast track that? No, there's no way. What, to just fast- straight out no? Yeah, that's a no. This, this relies on, it takes time, it takes effort. There's no shortcuts to success. There's no shortcuts to being an expert. You're really trying to learn everything there is to learn about your industry. Um, it's not talking to another expert makes you an expert. It's not reading an opinion of an expert makes you an expert. Right. You've so really, go through the process. Okay. So really, looking that you've had multiple roles, yep. you're interacting with multiple different businesses, yep. different standards, and you're operating. Let's say from this QA perspective, that yes, you may be exposed to SQF, but have you also audited SQF? Have you also been a consultant for SQF? Have you also been involved in task groups around standard writing or whether it might be BRC, ISO 22000, FSSC 22000, any of those bigger global standards? Yep, GFSI Um, if you're involved with that. In those task force, that would then start to play into that, yeah? Absolutely. This This is really being at the top of your game and not just influencing your business anymore. You're influencing the outcome of your industry, be it local, national, or international. Okay. To give you some examples around that, I was invited to work at Standards International, ISO, International Standards Organization, to help write 
standards that were shaping the future of trade and industry in uh, risk management, asset management, and sustainability. So uh, I was one of about 19 people that were actually writing the standard that went back out to global working groups, back to thousands and thousands of people to make comment that came back to us to then finish writing the standard. So I would fly to Geneva and sit there and write the standards with these people. So I was... No, so collaboration going on there from many people. It's the highest level of collaboration, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's the highest level of influence and you're also in this space, you're working with the highest level of complexity, which in this case means uncertainty because you're making something new that hasn't existed either formally or, or informally previously. So you're making something that you hope the market adopts. That's what I mean by uncertainty and complexity. Yeah. So we can see that in every day when we look at pioneers in whatever industry, whether it be in the technology industry, we saw what Steve Jobs did for phones and music in your pocket. Yep. We've seen what, um, I think about some of our biggest innovators, Elon Musk has done with the electric car. Yep. Do that. But there are... uh, those pioneers that have gone before us to give us what we have got today. Absolutely. And these people are very comfortable with risk, uncertainty, with error and correcting errors and very comfortable with failure as well because it's common sometimes almost daily roles. Mm, I think, yeah, and I think recognising that in order to be an expert, you have to accept failure and make sure that you get up from failure and you continue on. Absolutely. That's the biggest part of that. I think uh, we talk a lot about motivation and personal attributes. The motivator here is that you're doing the effort for others so that they can succeed and prosper. Yes. Okay, so we're we're now starting to, to push out that goal of what we want, and it's not just about benefiting yourself personally. It's about benefiting a whole lot more people. That's it. It's the broadest possible audience you can you can influence and, and educate or uh, or develop or just influence at the end of the day. So from, um, you know, we can look at what makes an expert. Just putting it on your business card doesn't make you an expert. And I have seen that many times, auditing where, Actual consultants have written on their business card that they're a, there was one in particular said that he was a BRC expert. The site completely failed the BRC audit. I don't even know whether the guy had a copy of the standard, um, but the site completely failed. We actually stopped the audit and changed it to a gap audit because it was their first audit. But I was really, really angry with the fact that this guy had taken this food company's money, only a family, small family-run business, had taken their money under the guise of, I'm an expert and I will help you achieve certification, where there was no expert. The only expert about it was expertly writing expert on his (laughs) business card. Expertly extracting money from lesser known people. People, yeah. that's right. So that's something to, I think to really watch when you're a consultant. When I think I when I think about experts in the food industry, it's not necessarily about knowing everything. It's about being I think really good at 
a particular stream and that you can go very deep with that. So if you're a, you might say, um, your focus is intentional adulteration. That's where you focus and that's where you're known for. Because you've had the experience and the knowledge around all different types of contamination issues, investigation side of things, that may make you an expert in that field. You may then also be an expert in risk management because you've gone through your 10,000 hours. I'm not saying that you can only be an expert in one thing. You can be an expert in multiple things if you follow that principle of your 10,000 hours. I think so. I think uh, the other things that define an expert are the personal attributes that come with these people and there's that, as I mentioned before, that desire to uh, give back or to change. And so these people would naturally be uh, mentors or even coaches in this space and they're very much about empowering others. So you're, you're driven by a totally different set of motivators to, say, someone that's proficient or someone that's competent. You, you have this longer-range view of the industry that you're trying to mould, shape and change. And I think attitude is a big part of that as well. Having the attitude that, and, and you'll see this with successful leaders, it's not about you knowing everything. It's being able to build up and empower people around you to know more than what you do. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that you can give to someone if you have knowledge is to pass that on to someone else so they can become better than what you've become. Yeah, and I think uh, what starts to knit all of these skills and attributes we've been talking about is the fact that they're highly logical people and can put uh, what seemingly looks like um, incoherent points of information or or uh, thoughts thought bubbles together into a logical stream or following the golden thread as people say to uh, to show others where they've been in future seeking and then what it will look like going forward because it's one thing to have an idea about the future or about innovation it's another thing to be able to deliver that message to people that they understand it much like Amanda raising me about my torch model. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're saying about people being highly logical. We've said that they definitely have to be influential. So you've got to have that passion that's going to kind of move to someone by osmosis without you even really trying to force your opinion or ideas or whatever. It just happens. We talked about influential skills at the previous level, which was proficiency. This just takes everything up another level. Absolutely. These are the where do you find these people? That's the next question. I mean, are these boffins in in lab coats sitting in you know dimly lit labs somewhere? Um, maybe some of them are, but uh, I think you might find these people. Executive management usually is a good place to find these people, uh, and I mean uh, C suite uh, is usually a good place to look for them. They're there for a reason. Um, I think academics fall into this category as well. And I think there are some uh, people out there that are in demand. So they obviously have a professional speaking circuit or they have a a very prominent, iconic business that Mm. people are understanding their theories and principles. They might have books out. They could be authors. I think that's a key thing that you just touched on there, that 
people can understand what they're talking about. If you can take a concept and translate it that people actually easily understand, I think you're on a winner there. So let's keep it relevant more about our industry. So Amanda, when you think about someone in our industry that you would consider an expert, maybe not naming names, but maybe describe the person and the role they've held and what that what you think they did to advance the industry. Well, I think one particular person who I've met later in my career, probably only in the last five years, and that person was definitely innovative, saw trends that were happening out in the general marketplace and then actually went forward to write a new standard and build a whole business around certification for this particular it's an allergen-based standard, to be able to see that vision that how are we going to stop multiple claims popping up and confusing industry or confusing consumers, sorry, that the product is free from X, Y, Z. They went forward, they had a standard written, they implemented that standard, they rolled out that standard to the industry and now that standard is seen as the highest level for compliance. Whilst not only dealing with the compliance issue, they've also helped the consumer to then recognise that, okay, if I see this symbol, I have level of trust that my product is going to be free from a particular allergen. So I think that person definitely showed direction, leadership and expertise in able to do that. And it's across all different facets, business development, idea, putting it into place, implementing and then successfully going on to sell that business to a much, much bigger company. Hmm. I think I know the person you're talking about. I know, I know that person quite well myself, actually. Uh, I, would, I would agree with those comments. Uh, speaking for myself, someone I ran into or actually I used to work with still in the personnel certification space, this is someone that uh, I worked with more than 15 years ago now and they had this crazy idea that audit personnel shouldn't just present logbooks and make claim that they're a professional based on a logbook. They should actually be able to demonstrate something to their peers, to the industry and to their customers to improve the level of confidence in the outcomes of the service they were providing. And so they went on to develop up a model and start to promote that into industry, which was resisted. And and I'd I'd say even today some ideas around that are still being resisted because it was such a radical change for the profession at the time. After a number of years of pushing on it, that, that idea around competency became an international standard. and the requirement for competent personnel are being written into a lot of standards these days where compliance has to be demonstrated. So I think that person um, showed me how it could be done and I think they showed a lot of people in industry where the future should be pointed and it's still taking some time to get there. I think they're at least 10 years ahead of their time. And you've probably heard people say that, oh, you're ahead of your time on this stuff. 
this is an example of that where this person was at least 10 years ahead of their time and I think these days it's just starting to be realised that it's necessary and of value and will provide value going forward. So do you think a lot of that stuff is really, when we're talking about competence and moving forward, a lot of that has been driven by the whole litigation and people being made responsible or liable for their actions. We can talk about the PCA in the US and auditors have been in there. We've seen that in other major outbreaks where auditors have been through and not identified certain things. Then there's a judgment around, well, was that person actually competent to be reporting on that or auditing that? I think what it, I think issues or um, incidents in industry draw people's vision back to uh, the immediate future, which is, well, what's going to stop this from happening tomorrow? Do I think these issues really alter the course of history? Not unless it's catastrophic, not unless it's some major incident. Um, and I know one we mentioned in a previous episode was uh, Wallace Lake Oysters with hepatitis killing scores of people and uh, as a result positive testing in the seafood industry was introduced. That was a catastrophic event that led to change. I think visionaries and experts are above that level. Like they could probably, this is this prediction that I've prediction. mentioned. Prediction, yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, they're predicting long-range stuff. And so they've already seen these incidents occurring and they, they're sort of sitting back waiting for it uh, whilst they're waiting for industry to catch up. So, so that's when we talk about you definitely have got the experience in the industry. You're, you've been in the industry for over 10 years. You can, you've can you seen things that happen and don't happen and you've made and, – and it might have been at that time in your life you weren't in a position to put change in place because you might have you identified it when you were a novice or our mm. second level, but you just weren't in the right time the right wasn't the right time, the right place to bring that up. Where now, if you could see that there was no changes have been made, you can then go ahead and go right. We need to fix this issue, and this is how we're going to go ahead and do it. I think one thing this expert class uh, good at is uh, use of history, so they understand history and they can use it. That they're excellent in seeking data. That they understand how statistics work to model historical data into something palatable and that they're really good at being able to uh, communicate the future using just those tools, using history and using data and using statistics. I think these people are very clever at making convincing arguments based on those attributes. I think when I look at this in the different businesses that I go in and work with, there's a lot of history there, but people don't seem to be learning from the history. When something happens in the US, another country may not learn from that. When something's happened in Australia, so we saw the listeria in fruit salad. That was back in 1995. I think it was five years after that or 10 years after that. Then the US had a similar, and it was, I, I just remember thinking at the time, if only they had looked at what happened in Australia and why it happened, that could have been prevented. So, like you say, having that forethought to, 
to look at history and make action-based decisions on that history. Absolutely. And again, these people, when I said uh, earlier on in this podcast, uh, people are seeking out all they can know about the industry. That means beyond their back fence. Uh, I know we talked about looking over the neighbour's back fence, fence at their yes. Weber barbecue. We're actually looking what's uh, what's down the street and what's what's across the water and what's halfway around the other side of the world that's uh, influencing industry or influencing outcomes there and then asking yourself, could that happen here? So it's we're getting into the one part which if you're in the QA space, you would be quite familiar with you are required under the GFSI credited standards. You have to be looking at new and emerging diseases and how or incidences. And we can see the whole drive towards even food fraud was really triggered after the horse meat scandal in Europe. We see that even all our food defence requirements now in our not only legislation in FISMA, but also in the standards that where these again GFSI standards or customer require requirement standards have driven the need for this whole food defence wasn't there five years ago or even ten years ago. We only saw that with the strawberries in Australia with the the needle, the needles I should say, and how how quickly that blew up. You know? That's true, and uh, I think the other thing that um, uh, experts will be doing is is being highly critical of the data they're being provided. So one incident does not make a pandemic. Uh, One incident does not require standards and industry guidelines to be changed. And, you know, talking to you off air recently, Amanda, you were talking about how people interpret standards based on uh, a particular experience. And I know we can't have it that way because I saw it differently in another place. Somewhere else and then try it, yeah. And that's a whole other series, our auditor series. Yeah, in which case (laughs) the answer to that is, well, so what? Yeah. Um, And as as, uh, flippant as that question sounds, it's actually a really important question for experts to ask themselves, even if the data or the the future future shaping they're doing is, well, so what? You know, how do you know it's going this way? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's where their critical thought, their highly uh, logical thought processes come in, their ability to reason with uh, data and with argument uh, or hypothesis plays a big part so that they're highly confident at the time they go to communicate this that this is the right path. So, Pete, to be an expert for those people who are listening, do you think there are any particular courses if people are working towards this? They may have been in their area for 15 years. Is there any type of course that they can start on to to push this process forward? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen a course on how to be an expert in anything. No, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> uh, look, Or is it more around this whole technical writing, higher communication, I definitely think critical thinking, which we did speak about in the last episode, yep. understanding that. Maybe you've have you've actually gone further than just your general degree. You may have got another degree. You may have got postgraduate qualifications. I think these are important. It's a lot of it around postgraduate, which shows that you've put the time and commitment into learning in-depth knowledge about a particular component of a process or the industry you're looking at, 
Well, what we know about people that are in this space, they're, they're very good leaders and they're good leaders because they have quickly understood their own behaviours and personal attributes and have are capable of understanding other people's attributes and are able to use that to be highly influential. That's what makes strong leaders and thought leaders and uh, influencers and futurists out there is their ability to work with the psyche and human nature and human behaviour to attract and retain followers to their ideas. Do you think in saying all of that, that a person would continue to develop their knowledge? So we have a lot of this continuous education and I see now in BRC, they have the BRC professional program where people in industry, they can get signed off as a BRC professional, but then you also have to keep up with that continuing education and same as an auditor. So every every time I have to renew my auditor cert, I have to show that I've had, I've done X amount of continuous education. And actually that was one of my bigger, biggest drivers when I had HACCP mentor accredited to be able to issue continuing education units for the industry is not just about doing that one-off course and then that's it. You actually continue to upgrade your knowledge around that subject matter if you're going to be that subject matter expert. That's it. And uh, this uh, infinite learning uh, want or environment is is really where future leaders are looking. And I know Simon Sinek uh, has a whole new series around uh, around this space itself. And I'd, I'd encourage you to look up Simon Sinek and and look at what he's talking about these days. So I'll put, I will put a link in the bottom of the show notes to this episode to anything that we do speak about that you may want to check out for your own knowledge or Absolutely. extended knowledge on this stuff. Yep. And so that's where it's about. There's, it's a constant learning cycle. It, 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 never, it never stops. An expert's always someone that's got an insatiable appetite for knowledge and for growth and personal development and learning. And then uh, a burning desire to convert that into ways of supporting and helping others. So Simon Sinek calls it the infinite mindset, and there's a lot of uh, topics in within that that he talks on. He's got a a, a growing number of podcasts and, and paraphernalia around this now. Okay, well, I think that we've covered all of our points. Then, in being an expert, going to that next level. Just keep in mind, just because you've done 20 years in the place doesn't make you an expert. It may make you someone who has a lot of knowledge, but not necessarily an expert. It's all of those other things that we talked about, the other skills, the other attributes, the giving back, the the greater good, yep. I think is probably one of the, the, the biggest drivers in all of that. Yeah, it's the world to see others succeed. So that wraps up our fifth level. That is the fifth level. Fifth and final, but in saying that, we are going to talk in our next episode about mentoring. So some of you who may be at that level may be ready to start mentoring people within your own organisation. It's not necessarily meaning that you're at that expert level, but you still may be in that position to now at least start passing on some of that knowledge and nurturing and mentoring people coming up from 
beneath to get to a level that you're at. Thank you very much again, Pete. Don't forget, if anything we discussed, have a look in the show notes to the episode and we will catch you in the next one. Very good. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to HACCP Mentor. For all your food business, HACCP, quality and food safety compliance tools, check out our website at www.hacapmentor.com. You can also find all the links and resources mentioned in the show notes to this episode.